Welcome to For the Love of Dharma. I'm so happy you're here. My name is Heather Love, and I'm one of the first certified Dharma coaches in the world. This podcast will help you be more joyful, remember your purpose, and live life on your terms. Get ready to get inspired. Here we go. Hi, friends. How is everyone feeling after eclipse season? Now, not every eclipse hits every person in the same way, and it's really dependent on what's on your birth chart. This set of eclipses didn't do much for me personally, other than make me really tired, but I've had other ones where I've had major shifts in my life and have actually had a physical reaction to the two hours that the eclipse was happening. So it's different for everyone based on where your planets are placed and in what signs they fall. They happen around every six months or so, so one of these days I'll check out where the next ones hit. I'm excited to get into today's episode. My guest is Fiona McDonough. She is a holistic wellness coach from Ireland. We talk about acupuncture and cupping therapy, which I've never had done, so I was fascinated with this conversation. We also talk about sound baths, which at the time that this was recorded, I had never experienced. But I'm happy to say that I have now been to a sound bath and I can't even explain how magical it was. The woman used singing bowls, drums, a gong, and some other stuff that I'm forgetting, but it was insane how much I felt shifting in my body during that session. I can't wait to go back. The other thing we get into is how to connect to yourself through creativity, which I am a huge advocate for, and I loved talking about the different ways to do this. Without further ado, let's welcome Fiona to the show. Hi, Fiona. Welcome to the show. Oh, goodness. Thank you for having me, Heather. I'm so excited to talk to you, and I love your Irish accent. It makes me so happy, <laughs> so I can't wait to dive in. Oh, way- well, uh, I, I confess now, in Ireland, I would be classed as a bit of a mongrel accent. I'm not a pure Irish, but to you, I might be. Not that you haven't a trained ear in some things, I'm sure, but uh, yeah, this isn't a pure Irish accent. There's oh, bits of it in there. Amazing to know. Yeah, people often tell me I have a Wisconsin accent, and I'm like, well, how is that different than Illinois or Minnesota or California, like they all sound the same to me. Anyway, the way I like to start my guest episodes is by having you choose either blue or red. And I have a blue book and a red book, and I will ask you a random question from whichever book you choose. Okay, so I think I'd go for blue, even though blue actually isn't my favorite color, but uh, there's something, I don't know. What invention could be designed that would protect people driving better than a seatbelt? What springs to mind is something, it would probably not be the maybe the most uh, easiest thing to wear, but something like, I don't know if you're familiar with a character called the Michelin Man. Like he's... Oh, the big white puffy guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So like a a puffer jacket version of that, that maybe inflates on an impact thing. You know, a bit like... um, a bit like the, what do they call them? The, bags? the airbag? The airbag. The airbag. <laughs> um, so a bit like that, but a jacket version. Yeah. <laughs> and that it, if if something happened, like there's, it's a sensory. So if something happened that's like impact or there's a sudden shift, now it could, of course, accidentally go off, but so can airbags, that the whole thing would surround you like this giant feathered duvet and you'd be like, <laughs> encased. 
I just have this visual of me like running up to people and like pushing them down so that I could see their jackets like expand. (laughs) Then I just think, oh, wow, you could have a car just driven by like two giant marshmallows. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) You never know. I laugh about it, but in a hundred years, who knows what is going to actually happen? Yeah, that's very true. So I would love for you to tell my listeners a little bit about what was Fiona like as a child? What did you do for fun? And what was your personality like? I'm not sure that I've changed an awful lot of my personality. Well, of course, I wouldn't believe that I have. Um, so as a child, I would have been kind of seen in my family as the dreamer. I was a little bit, um, yeah, looking out the window and very quite creative and arty. Um, I would always have been into drawing and colouring and Lego, I was a massive fan of Lego. Um, I loved the and and a hundred years ago when I was a child, um, we didn't have well, we would have had some sets, but not as much as the the really complicated sets that my own children have have been gifted. So we would have just gotten the bits and made our own stuff from them. And yeah, I loved I loved that kind of it's like it's like a pre Minecraft, you know? Yeah, <laughs> right. I um, loved Legos and yeah I'm, I think you're right like when I was a kid it was you got the blocks now they've got these extravagant like whole displays and they come with mm. instructions and well, I think we did get some instruction I have a very very vague memory actually of getting something when I was about probably about 10 or 11 my uncle who lived in England brought us back this um a Lego set and it made a car and the car ran. It was um, battery operated. So, yeah, um, I do. So I know we got had some, but I don't remember us really beyond making that once. Usually it was then. Yeah, we made our own stuff after that. And I liked being outside. I would have been quite the nature person. And we always had dogs. So, yeah, I now have two. Um, so I would have been a, a big dog lover. Kind of quiet, actually, I would have said as well. Or maybe not even quiet. Um, some people would have said shy, but I would say more. I was kind of reserved, and I even see that in my youngest son. Uh, now I have no problem talking to people. I'm the opposite direction. You actually have to put socks on my mouth. But, yeah, I would have been kind of reserved. I wouldn't have been maybe come across as overly confident. Maybe that would have been more of it. And maybe that's been a kid too. Yeah, I guess that. And a big reader, massive reader. All of my family are. Mm, I love to read. Yeah. Isn't it interesting to see how we have changed or not from when we were a kid to today, you know, and, and like you said, like, I, I think I've always talked a lot, so I don't relate to being quiet, but yeah, I think reserved is a good word to describe a lot of kids. People Mm. call them shy, but it's not that like, they're just very introspective of in, you know, they're taking in everything around. Ponder, Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I know from when my um, younger son was little that people would say that to me, you know, oh, he's shy. And I go, no, he's just actually picky about who he chooses to talk to. Mm. Um, And I admire that in him. He's not, um, he's not bought by chocolate carrots where he's got a twin sister and she's far more like, oh, hey, you're talking to me, great, lovely. And that's just her personality. But um, yeah, he's a, he's a fun guy, but he just, yeah, if he if you don't resonate with him, you don't. So I see, yeah, now that I look back, I think, yeah, I was probably a little bit similar. Um, yeah. I may not have been as, quite as like, nah, I'm just going to be almost rude. <laughs> but um, yeah, definitely I could have slipped away and hidden, you know, down in my bedroom with a book or something like that. And like, oh, you want me to talk to that person? Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Do you yeah. remember what you wanted to be when you grew up when you were a kid? 
No, I didn't really have one thing. My mother, funnily enough, my mum passed away when I was about 14. And my mum would all, when I, when I was little, would have always said to me, um, oh, you'll never make a nurse. And I was like, oh, well, okay, because you run at the sight of blood. And the irony is I'm now an acupuncturist and I use maybe 20 plus needles when working with people every day and there's blood and I deal with bodies and aches and pains and all sorts. So, um, yeah, I just, I often think of her and go, well, now, mommy, I don't know, you said a nurse, but look at the elite ones. Yeah, and then I, I did um, art at secondary school, so we can we can do it up to like, like our final year. And we had an art teacher, and he was going around the class, you know, as you do in the in the last year. And uh, as somebody said, you know, sir, what do you think potentially any everybody could do for a living? And he went round everybody and said, oh, I think this, I think that. And when he came to me, he turned and he said, oh, she could be anything, anything from a bin driver to the president. I've no idea, but I know it, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> And I went, okay. And I was like, at the time, I remember going, oh, you didn't give me one thing. At the time, I found it um, a little maybe upsetting. Amazing. So as you mentioned, you are now an acupuncturist. You are a holistic wellness coach. So let's talk about that a little bit. I have never actually had acupuncture. I think most people uh, in my community know what it is, but I would love for you to talk a little bit about that. And also, I know you do cupping, which is something that is, I think maybe I'm completely wrong. I think it's a little bit newer, although it's still also been around a long time. I think Mm -hmm. it got a lot of notoriety with the Olympics with Michael Phelps and he showed up with like these circle bruises all over him and people are like what is happening so if you could talk about just both of those actually acupuncture and cupping you know what are the benefits what are they do they hurt you know like I've never had either one but I look at both of them and go gosh that looks really painful you know so all the questions that the curious minds want to know well and I've treated lots of people for the very first time the thing I would always say is you know most people leave here knowing they're still knowing their own name and lots of people book in again and come again. So that's kind of an indication of, you know, there's some, they get something from it. Usually people go, oh, okay. Cause I, I'm very serious about what I do, but I'm not serious with it. So acupuncture is the use of very fine needles. They range in size of length and diameter, but the diameter in general, you could say, is about one twentieth the diameter of a hypodermic needle. So they're so fine. They're like a couple of hair breaths, really, like your hair in your head. And they're used on a variety of points that are chosen based on diagnosis. So the points would be they would have indications and functions. And then it might be a, there, there's some points that work well together, um, depending on what's going on for the person. So I would be classes of five element acupuncturists. So we would use the five elements of earth, a fire, uh, wood, air and metal. And people would kind of usually, if you think about different attributes of those things, without me going into much detail, we usually fall. We usually are a sum of all five, but we have one or two more our most dominant so when they're a little bit out of whack our most dominant elements they can lead for people to have xyz issues so it can treat a wide wide range of issues so today for example i would have treated a lady who's got back related issues and it's old kind of work related uh, postural a lady who broke her hand and her she had really bad sorry she didn't break her hand she broke her wrist uh, and two of her fingers, um, that there was a bit of nerve damage left. This lady, for example, has come and seen me 
over the four sessions in the last month, and she couldn't touch her index finger. She couldn't really move. It was really stiff. The sensitivity was, ah, oh, it was really painful. And today she's able to touch her, I'm, I'm, I'm demoing for you, nobody else can see it, um, touch her index finger to her palm, which she wasn't able to do. And she it could do it itself, as it were, you know, because she could force it there. So for her, that was really significant. The inflammation has gone down and she was feeling, and she was actually, I have to say, I would have to say there was a colour to her cheeks because one, she's been out of work since July due to this accident. And second of all, her other love was sewing and she couldn't hold things. So she was saying, yeah, I'm back to it. So I was like, great, I think we're there. And she said, look, I'll come and see you again if I need to. And I said, yeah, I, for this, I think you're, you've are you you've come as far as we're going to take you and good luck with the rest of your journey. And then the other lady who came to see me today, uh, a knee issue. Um, she's recovering from knee surgery. So you could, but I could treat all sorts of things from gynecology, headache, anxiety. Yeah, it's awesome. All the different things, sinusitis, you know, definitely um, quite a big thing around this time of the year for a lot of people. Immune boosting, fertility, it's massive for fertility. It's one of the things definitely in Ireland that is very recognized by the medical profession for fertility. And cupping would be, so cupping would be using suction. There's a variety of different cups you can use. They could be glass. The original ones would have been bamboo um, or silicon-based ones. So if you use glass, it's called fire cupping. Silicon just uses your hands and you use suction to lift the skin from the fascia, the fascia from the muscle. So it really aids the circulation of the body. So, for example, like Michael Phelps would have, and I suppose the reason why you see it, or any everybody would have seen it more, was, you know, when you think about it, swimming at the Olympics, they wear very little. So there's lots of sports people would have cupping done to help heal muscle. So for somebody like him, that would be obviously training in an ordinate amount, and he wants to give it his best performance. So he wants the circulation in his muscles to be the best for you know, a serious Olympic race. So I'm imagining that's why rather than to heal an injury, I would imagine that somebody of his ilk wouldn't have had an injury going into a race like that, but he could have done. But I have copped people from, you know, in around their ears. You can do facial copping all the way down the body to uh, the soles of people's feet. Yeah, it's a, it's a awesome. It's amazing for bringing down inflammation, creating uh, or helping to create more circulation in, in people's and to help heal muscles. So when you would have seen like him again with the Michael Phelps with the circular marks on him and the bruises, what that does is your immune system views that as inflammation, which kind of rightly it is, but they don't they don't hurt to touch. They're not painful to press on, like as if you'd walked into a chair and, and bruised your leg. But what it does is it your it kicks in your immune system to send more nutrient-rich blood to the area. So it's a positive negative. So if you bruise somebody by cupping, it's a positive. And the more somebody gets cupping done, the less they will mark. But it can treat quite superficially. It can treat quite locally or can treat quite deeply. So you could cup somebody's upper back for their lungs as well, for their immune boosting, for clearing somebody's head in relation to coughing and sinuses and a cold and that kind of thing oh, it's awesome so interesting so mm. does it hurt at the time like I mean I'm imagining needles like I have a needle needle phobia and like I can't oh, imagine- well I, I tell you I don't like needles but I don't like hypodermic needles <laughs> yeah so does so, it hurt um, you uh, hurt no no it shouldn't hurt but you should feel a sensation because a needle is breaking your skin so you should feel a sensation but a sensation isn't like agony it's more like oh i loathe to use the term like doctors do you feel a little flick and that's it, it can feel like that but then 
we would deem it as um, sensation. So there are some points that have usually very clear sensations. And one on the leg, which we would often use, is related to the stomach meridian. And it feels almost like an electrical current running down your leg. We would deem that as a positive sensation. But depending on the person, so some people go, oh, I can really feel this kind of feeling. And I've had one client who went, oh, I can really feel that kind of feeling. And I'm not sure about it. So, you know, I remove a needle if somebody was feeling grossly uncomfortable. But it depends on the client. Oh, that's so interesting. And so there's different points on the body that you would put the needles to affect different other points within the body. Is that how it uh, works? Yes, yes. And in Chinese medicine, we would see, we would, the theory would be that you would treat distally. So to treat the lungs, I wouldn't needle around your lungs. Now, there will be some people, practitioners that would. In general, though, it's, you know, it's a delicate enough area in terms of whether, especially if it's a female, but a female client, there's a lot happening underneath there. You want to be careful how those needles are going in. So yes, you can treat lung points far stronger on the arms than you could maybe by treating directly. So say if somebody came to me whose head was really stuffed, whether it was sinus related or just a head cold, and they feel a little down, you know, a little maybe heavy in the body and just not lacking, lacking oomph or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, What I might suggest is that we cup their back and get things moving in the lungs. And then I'd ask that client to turn over and I would treat them with kind of constitutionally to boost their overall system. And when you do it, well, I find when you do it that kind of way, you're, you're kind of treating it locally and treating it distally and the best of both worlds. So you can use cupping and acupuncture together like at the same time? Yeah, uh, maybe not exactly at the same time. Again, it depends on the practitioners. I personally like to do cupping and then needles. Some people prefer to use needles and then use cupping. It kind of depends on the practitioner. There's no rule as such. It depends on. So the lady I was treating today with the uh, broken wrist, for example, I would have uh, needled her first and actually used cupping afterwards because the needles would help to bring down the inflammation a little quicker. And then I could cup to help move the circulation. Whereas if I cupped initially with the the more inflammation, it, yes, it would have made a difference. But I just, yeah, it depends on what it is that's gone on for somebody. So everybody's treatment would be different and every and even within that somebody having subsequent treatments they could all be slightly different because you might come and say oh my neck was really killing me day one and then you go you know what it's actually my lower back is now niggling me even within it there might be slightly slight alterations but treatment isn't set in stone that's fascinating i mean just by the pictures i've seen and what i've heard from people it's not just like one cup or one needle like is there i mean how it I assume it's a lot just by what I've seen from like Michael Phelps and other people who've had cupping and you know, yeah. I've seen acupuncture where they've got like all these needles in them. Like, is it, is it a ton or just, is that my imagination? It depends on, on what's going on for the person. Like today I would have treated one lady and I would have treated her whole back from her neck all the way down to her lower back to her sacrum. Um, and actually I treated the soles of her feet, but on the soles of her feet, they were only moving because there isn't enough muscle there to hold. She has a slight bit of arthritis in the joints of her large toe. So trying to get the cups to stay there, they did stay there actually, but sometimes it depends on the person they may or may not. Um, so on the soles of her feet, she had one each and that was to to help bring circulation to the joint of her toe. Oh, so fascinating. I would, I never think of tiny little cups to put on your feet. 
Well, they're they're actually technically speaking, they're called facial cups, but they're small enough that they can work there on the small muscles. Yeah. Um, and then there's even I've got even tinier ones that you'd use up around somebody's ears. You know, you know, if you've ever had a like a scratchy throat. So it's up around that area there. So if you cut the lymph here, this could be very the size of the neck. It could be very um, helpful to us to help alleviate it. Oh, super cool. So I know one of the other things you do is sound baths. So I, again, something I've never done, I've always been intrigued by it, but I would love for you to talk to my listeners about what is it? Is it like meditation? Like how are they related? Uh, Sound bath meditations is what we would call them here in Ireland, but it's coming from sound therapy. So I would have gone to my first sound bath uh, about 10 years ago now, just over 10 years ago, where I went, I had never been to one before. And I asked one of the girls that was with me, um, how do I dress in this bath? And they said, you're not getting in a bath, you're lying on the floor. I was like, what? So the sound bath started. So it's a series of a bunch of instruments um, and each facilitator may have their own, as I call them, my family of instruments. And, you know, there's some of that would be uh, what you're drawn to as well or what you've experienced playing. I was lying there about, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes. And I felt a physical sensation as if this, as if somebody had dropped a pebble in my, in a chakra and I could feel the ripples coming out, like as if they were, I was made of a pond. And I opened my eyes and I thought, oh, okay, that's interesting. The woman was standing about 15 foot away from me and I thought, Okay, I must have kind of imagined that. I don't know what's going on here. And closed my eyes and about 15 minutes later, similar feeling lower down on my body. And I went, oh, I don't know what she's doing, but I like this. So sound bathing is where you're bathing the sounds of various instruments. And as I say, everybody might have a different family. And what it does is when a lot of these instruments are played like gongs and Tibetan singing bowls, they vibrate at the equivalent of our theta brainwave. And your theta brainwave would be the brainwave you would be in if you practiced regular meditation or you do a repetitive action like um, knitting or crochet, painting, you know, those coloring books, those meditation colors. So where you're alert, but you don't have to focus on what you're doing. Now, having said that, uh, I wouldn't be in theta if I was knitting because I'm not a great knitter. So I'd be in very on theta. <laughs> I might be in ultra frustrated, actually. But yeah, or gardening or, you know, something like that. Or even, even say, kneading dough, you know, that can be quite meditative. A lot of places actually where people might be in it is actually when they're driving. If, you're, if you've ever driven down the road and you're further down the road than you realised you are, you're alert but you're not focused because if you're practiced. So when you attend a sound bath, you're bathed, as I say, in these instruments and they induce that theta brainwave in your system. So hence it would be called a very passive way to enter the meditative state. Um, and because it's quite physical in person, people can have, like I had, quite different physical sensations in their body. And sometimes for some people, one lady came to a sound bath once and she said, oh my God, I know what color to paint my bedroom wall now. You know, the monkey mind clears the chatter away. It's that kind of quiet space moment. And so it's it's induced in your system, but it's very passive. And I don't go anywhere near the people that attend a sound bath. So I hold them in my clinic space about twice a month. And, you know, people are in a circle, in a group, and I'm at one end and I don't actually beyond. I might stand near them, but I don't go actually physically touch them or beyond a chat. I don't really have any interaction with them as such. Once the sound bath starts, it's all the it's all the all the music. Mm, that's um, amazing. So, did you ever figure out what that little pebble feeling was? Oh, it was the sound had that effect on me. It was like it just physically had that physical effect in my system. So I've had people who um, there was a guy one time came and he 
after the sound bath was over. So as I say, like I wouldn't necessarily interview people before they come in and find out what's going on for them. We'd have a brief chat if they'd ever been before and I'd give them a very little simple rundown of what it can be like. And afterwards he came to me and said, um, how did you know that I had had an osteopath treatment on my left shoulder and left hip? And I said, oh, I didn't know. It's got nothing to do with me. It's the sound goes in your body where it needs to go. There has been tears have been shed. One lady felt the same heartache she said she felt when her father passed away and it was about his year anniversary. But she said, I knew it was something that needed to be released. It was something in there. It was a re- It was a good, it was a positive negative feeling almost. And I had two ladies at exactly the same sound bath one time that um, one lady felt so energized. She went home and she cleaned her kitchen top to bottom. It can have that effect. But 95%, maybe even 97% of people will go home and sleep really well. And another lady, exactly the same sound bath, she slept, went home and slept for 10 hours solid. Wow. So Amazing. It meets you where you're at, which sounds very airy-fairy. But, you know, if you've got stuff and it can help clear it all out. So they describe it as a cellular massage. It gets in there and it helps all your trillion cells to bounce around to data. So, but without somebody physically touching you, it is awesome. I now have, like, I'm in, I'm in the West of Ireland, as I was saying to you earlier, and um, I'm in a small town and I have a small army now of sound bathers. I have sound bathing addicts. It's lovely. <laughs> I, I, you've sold me. I feel like I'm going to go check one out. I know we have a place not too far from me that just opened and started doing these things. So I am intrigued to go check it out. Oh, I think it's, it's a wonderful gift to give oneself. Amazing. So I know you were talking a little bit about the theta state and I, love that because you can't, you know, we talk about walking meditations too. Like anytime you're doing something that you're, you can be awake and you don't have to be laying down with your eyes closed in order to meditate, which is what I always tell people. And over the summer, I had run some workshops where I was doing this art journaling with people. And essentially it was a kind of meditation because they're so into what they're creating and they're very awake and alert of and aware of what's going on. But I know you also do art journaling. So I would love for you to tell me because I think everyone's got a little bit different definition of it. It's kind of, I think it's a newer thing. It's something newer to me, at least that I've discovered. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about some of the workshops you've done with art journaling and the importance of allowing yourself to be creative. Oh, well, for me, I mean, I suppose I was always creative. I've always pooched at some kind of art. When my, I have an older sister and she drew a picture of our dog. I think I was about seven and I went, I want to be able to draw like that. So here in Ireland, I took art class or uh, all the way through my um, secondary school for six years solid. I could have done lots of things and gone on to do a portfolio and gone to art college and all that. But um. I've always been creative. I've done basket weaving. I've done we- uh, wool weaving, needle felting a little bit. Yeah, all manner of means of things, acrylic pouring. And I've pooched at lots of stuff. And I've always had like pencils. I even actually have, I think, oil crayons from oh, when dinosaurs were on the earth. But then I discovered art journaling and I was like, oh, cool. This for me it's so journaling I know is so good for you so good to empty out your mind and I would be good at a list writer and I I would do not every month um but often 
at least six times a year, I would do like a new moon ceremony and a full moon. So I might alternate between the two of them. So the new moon for bringing things in and the full moon for letting stuff go. And I, I really like those things. I think sometimes it's really good to write. For me, the physical act of writing helps me. You're more involved than even just typing. So I know that journaling is good. And when I was a teenager, I would have kept a diary. Oh, gosh, I probably cringe now if I read any of it. I now know that subconsciously there was a little bit of a, a thing in the back of my mind was like, what if somebody finds it? You know, so you never write at all now. Don't write at all because somebody just might find it, you know. So I love the idea of writing it down and yet then covering it with some art. But sometimes it's not actually writing. It's just arting. <laughs> so it's a blend of the two, whether it be writing what's in your heart or your head and what you wish to let go of or bring in or what's bothering you. Or it could be something like I can think of a different couple of different pages I have done over something that had happened. And I might just write three words. It's not about like freestyle writing of a half page. And then I've even collaged over it. To me, it's a blend between writing and creativity. And then it's letting out the inner child and it's not needing like I, I would have had sketch pads over years and I feel more sketch pads since I've come to art journaling than I filled in the last 10 years. And I've loads of art supplies, but it's like it takes me on a journey and I've no fear of the blank page anymore. And that's neither whether it's writing or whether it's art. And it's not a fear or not even um not even a need that when you begin a page or a set of pages, because sometimes I might work on three or four, like I might have excess paint. So I you know, run it onto another page. And then that's that fear of the blank page being over. But it doesn't have to be finished. That's what I've kind of, and I, of course, who says anything has to be finished? So instead of looking at things that I've half done or not wholly finished, and I can think of a hair painting I was doing there a couple of years ago, and I, I look at it and I say, oh, I have to finish that. Whereas now I've got the different perspective, like it's not finished but I'll figure out how to finish it, you know, and it's a different thing instead of putting that pressure on myself going, oh, you haven't finished that. And it's a, almost like a small nagging voice as opposed to this other voice that says, yeah, we'll figure that out. This is getting interesting now. How would we finish that? You know, it's a different way of looking at the same thing. And sure, look, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the first person to come to that realisation. But for me, it was massive to go, I said, there's another way I could do this. I always remember my mum years ago when she was on the phone, she used to do the most incredible doodles whatever they look like, actually. I wish I'd kept some of them. I think to me, that's almost been in the meditative, you know, you're not exactly focused on what you're doing and you're on the phone to somebody listening to what they're saying. And so it's it's not about the outcome. It's about the journey. And like, of course, you know, you can take it to any level. I've, I've got a, a, a jelly plate and I love creating those prints and, and making my own ones. And then that might make some like collage paper. But there's something about the handmade that I love. And I've always been that way inclined. I like making things with my own hands. Mm, I love what you said about fear of the blank page. I never considered it before, but I do remember that I used to be the same way. And you kind of sit down with this blank page and you're like, well, what do I want to do with this? 
Mm. you know, and you, you get in your head about it. And instead of just letting your heart and your intuition just sort of like take over and it's like, well, what feels good? And what I love about art journaling is that it, there is no wrong way. You know, you can use paint or marker or crayons or pencil, or I use a ton of like scrapbook paper, you know, just Mm. stickers, you know, all of the things that you loved as a kid you get to do now. And so, like you said, bringing that inner child out is so important. And the other thing you said that I've never thought about that I really like is, you know, if you've got something on your heart, writing out a few words, and then you make your collage or your painting or whatever over it. And so that's a different kind of journaling in that, you know, it is a form of release almost in a way or giving it to the universe. So that's really beautiful. Mm. Well, and I think the thing is, you can write down, God, I really hate Mary, (laughs) you know, and you can cover over it and the picture could reflect what it is. But when you open it, you know, and I mean, I, I don't hate Mary, I don't know who she is, but you can look at it and you go, ah, I just needed to get that out of my head or my heart that day. But nobody can see it. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be, could be anything, you know, I really wish I, I didn't say blah, 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 blah to somebody that day. And nobody ever needs to know about it, which I think, yeah, is makes it like, oh, I didn't ever think of this before. Mm-hmm. Because I imagine that like when I was, when I have kept diaries, there is, there's that subconscious thing of, you know, it's just a, it's almost a, a instead of a to-do list, it's a I done list. I did this, I did this, I did this, I did the other thing. La, 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 la. Instead of, oh my God, today, now I felt this way about that. But you don't maybe want to have that thing of somebody finding your journal. And it's interesting because some, I, I don't know who, I can't remember who it was. I had a conversation with where they were saying that journals of theirs had been found and and they were really upset by somebody having read them. And I thought, yeah, so if you doodled over that now, you would have gotten the stuff out <laughs> and still, you know, nobody would have necessarily known. And then 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 I was talking to um, a lovely lady who was over here for a conference for um, a very well-known literary lady from a couple of centuries ago, and they had found her journals. And I thought, no, if she had art journaled over them, you would never have known about her and her bicycle. <laughs> you know, depends on what it is, isn't it? I just, it speaks to me and there is that creativity that you, anything goes. So I have used both pictures from the National Geographic, drawn my own stuff, made jelly plate kind of collage, like scrapbook paper. I've used ones I found and it's bringing it together and and seeing the creativity that can occur. And yeah, it's an outlet and it's quite meditative. Yeah, it really is. And I think everyone who starts it will become addicted to it. Like I I can't imagine not doing it now. So I would love for you to tell me, what do you think about people who say they aren't creative and they can't do, whether it's art journaling or anything, right? I can't do that because I'm not creative. What do you think about that? Um, I think sometimes we tell ourselves stories because it's it's in easier is the wrong way to put it because like, you know, for example, years ago, I was told by a nun that I went to school with, you know, I'd really rather if you didn't sing in the choir because you don't keep a very good key. So you can't sing. So you just stand there and you mouth. Okay. So for years I had the mantra, I can't sing. Oh, I can't sing. I, I can't sing. And then I met this lady at a workshop actually around the same time I went to my first sound bath. It was about toning. So making sound, you could say. I told her the story and she said to me, and I always stopped me. She said, hmm. Maybe you can't sing, but we all have a voice. So maybe somebody is not Van Gogh or they're not Picasso. And that's fine. You don't have to be. Anybody can collage. I mean, anybody can. 
I've done vision board workshops with people as well and and, and, for, and for myself. And there was one lady, I'll never forget it, she was that. And, and afterwards she said to me, oh, I wasn't quite sure about that now before I did it. I thought, oh, pile of, oh, geez, oh, yeah. And I do it in a very quick is a lady that I did a, a a workshop with once, and she said forty five seconds to choose the page. If you it's a very subconscious thing, then you're just grabbing. And what was really interesting was what came up for this woman on her page when she like put her pictures that she picked out of maybe ten magazines and she put them together, and she went, "Wow!" She she herself was like, "This really applies to me." You don't have to be creative; you just need a glue stick and a bunch of magazines, and there's a start. Mm, I love that. And, you know, it's not like saying for any of these things, whether you're a singer or you're making an art journal page or any of these things, you don't have to make a career out of it. You know, you're doing it for you, right? And to make yourself feel good. So I love that so much. I have loved this conversation. I would love for you to tell my listeners, where is the best place they can find you? And I know like you have a, a book on Amazon. So tell us where my listeners can find you. I hang out, as people say. On Facebook, I'm under Love Clinic, Fiona McDonough. Uh, love is the Irish word for hand. And I work with my hands. And I really believe, and it's kind of my tagline, is sometimes everybody needs a hand. And I really do believe that. To be found on Facebook or Instagram, a little unused on LinkedIn, so don't go there. Um, I also have my website, which is loveclinic.ie and yeah on amazon i made these notebook um journals so they're not they're not terribly complicated but they're they're a reflection again of me because they're they're in alignment with the goddess bridget and um, bridget is getting her first national holiday here in ireland next year which is amazing so the first female bank holiday uh yeah so she's the pagan goddess of healers so um my notebook because i am a woman of many notebooks well i know when we started this call i went god i've got so many notebooks around me and i do um i have a notebook for every season um and every reason so yeah i'm a big fan of them and the 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 covers of these ones are quite colorful so the idea would be is that when you finish with a notebook you have the cover to frame if you so wish. And it's about encouraging people. So some of the some of the ladies that were doing my art journaling class, they got one at the start of it and, and a few of them were using it for their pages. So it was to start them off, really, whether they wrote notes in it or journaled and, you know, you're open to do whichever ever they like. So, um, yeah, and I'm hoping uh, I'm going to sit down and finish designing my Bridget's Diary for 2023. Amazing. I've never heard of her and now I'm intrigued to go look her up. So that is amazing. And I will make, I will make sure I link everything for my listeners in the show notes. Before I let you go, I like to ask my guests five rapid fire questions at the end so that my listeners, it's not scary. It's just a way for my listeners to get to know you a little bit better. You don't have to answer quickly. Just answer the first thing that comes to your mind. What is something that makes you laugh? Oh, my dogs. (laughs) They are ridiculous, aren't they? Dogs are so funny. All the two of our lads. (laughs) (laughs) Even talking about them makes me laugh. (laughs) What kind of dogs are they? Uh, Mott one and Mott two. Got it. Perfect. (laughs) I love (laughs) Mutts. All right. What is something that you are excited about right now? Oh, yeah. Designing and getting my Bridget's journal. Sorry, uh, the diary done because it's been um, it's been in the pipeline for a couple of months now. So, yeah, I just got the template for it. So I'm excited about sitting down and cracking that one out. Perfect. How would your best friend describe you? Probably quite driven, intentional 
kind, can be a bit scattered, only because I'm one of these people who goes, oh, butterfly, and new flower. Oh, that's exciting. Uh, yeah, so excitable, definitely. And likes a good laugh. Mm, all good things to be, as far as I'm concerned. What do you love to learn more about? Oh, gosh, everything. Um, anything that I'm really interested in, I'm an avid learner. Uh, I love doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm a forever student and I do. I go down the rabbit holes. I'm like, you know, I, I have the shiny object syndrome where I'm like, oh, that looks interesting. And then I go down this rabbit hole and I find something else. And I'm like, oh, what about that? You know? <laughs> so yeah, everything is a good answer. All right. Last question. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give your younger self? Have a game plan. <laughs> Well, and not not an not an exact not a goal. I wouldn't even say that, but like, it's like what I tell my eighteen year old son. I said, you don't have to know exactly what you want to do, but just have an idea of what you want your life to look like. You know, do you want to do the? You know, do you want to take four weeks holidays, or do you want to have three months off, or do you want to work this way or that way? These kind of things because that helps feed what you notice an opportunity. So yeah, I had great crack in my twenties, but I. As we would say, I farted around a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay too. You get a lot of, you know, life experience and you learn oh, yeah. what you like and what you don't. But I love that not so much having necessarily a specific goal, but how do you want to feel and what yeah. is important to you? So I love that so much. Fiona, you have been a delight to talk to you. I have loved this conversation. Thank you so much for being here. I cannot wait for my listeners to get to meet you. Thank you very much. I really love what the woman said to Fiona that we all have a voice. It doesn't matter what your talents are or what your preferences are or what your style is. We all have something to share with this world. Don't let some cranky old nun tell you that you aren't allowed to sing. Links to connect with Fiona are in today's show notes. If you loved this episode, it would mean the world to me if you would head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star rating and review. We need people to have more conversations that matter. And by leaving a review, you help my podcast get seen by more people. Thanks so much for listening. Have a magical day. Hey, I know anxiety can be a real pain in the ass. That's why I've taken 20 of my favorite tried and true tricks to tame anxiety and I put them in a free PDF for you. Whether anxiety rears its ugly head once in a while or it's something you deal with chronically, I've got you covered. You'll be empowered to find out what techniques work best for you and start taking control of your anxiety instead of it controlling you. If you're ready to start feeling better, get on my email list by clicking on the link in the show notes or in my Instagram bio, and I'll send it right over. 